You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. This week on the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, actress and advocate Claudia Christian, but first, Kid Mental. Let's go. Things ain't always gonna go our way. But you can always win when you choose your struggle. And some battles will be yesterday. But today is for a new beginning. Choose your struggle. And don't worry about what they say. But you can always win when you choose your struggle. And you can bounce back just as you. Come on and listen in to choose your struggles. Choose your struggles. Choose your struggles. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. So great to be with you all. Welcome to Pride Month. Shout out to everyone celebrating. Uh, Shout out to the fact that this is now a thing. You know, I am old enough uh, at almost 35 to remember when Pride Month was really not a thing that was celebrated uh, beyond sort of uh, those in the know. And now this is a, a big deal. So that is awesome. That makes me super happy to see. You know, I have some very, very fun memories of Pride uh, going back over a decade, uh, celebrating Pride in first Cincinnati, um, and, and obviously now up here in Philadelphia will be will be fun to see how this city does Pride, uh, and it's just it's it's always a great occasion for celebration and for honoring. Uh, the, the, just more than anything, the incredible fortitude uh, of the LGBTQ community for uh, continuing to fight despite all that has been thrown against them. And, and, you know, it's it's an occasion to stop for a minute and to say, wow, you know, let's really honor this community because... I mean, I remember celebrating when the gay marriage, uh, <laughs> the Supreme Court decision was handled, handed down. You know, obviously that was in uh, a b- even bigger deal uh, than normal in Cincinnati because Jim Obergefell is from Cincinnati. And uh, I was at an event that night that, that you know, honored him. And, and it was such an incredible uh, experience and, and moment to really take a hard look at at other aspects uh, where this was, you know, obviously a step in the right direction, but there was so much more that needs to be done. And that was kind of a theme of that evening. Like, let's celebrate this a gigantic win, but not allow it to stop our progress. So um, happy Pride Month. Let's keep fighting for love, equality, uh, equity, and, and not just for the, the LGBTQ community, but for, for everybody. This is... Um, an opportunity to celebrate this particular community and recognize again how far we have to go uh, to truly make this uh, an acceptable place, uh, not for the just this country, but this world for all. So uh, this um, week, so before we get into the show, I'm recording this on Thursday, a little bit delayed this week because. Uh, I've been traveling the last couple of days. I had my first in-person speaking opportunity uh, in, in over a year. The first one on on a physical stage. It was a TEDx uh, talk at the Seven Hills School, where I am a graduate in Cincinnati, Ohio. My speech was uh, titled something along the lines of, uh, to truly solve addiction, treat drug users with uh, empathy, and really did, uh, I think, a pretty good job of, of using my story as an opener, followed by explaining uh, the history of uh, drug laws in this country and and how they're all based in racism, speaking of how far we still have to go, and trying to help people understand that, you know, this just because this is history doesn't mean it doesn't affect today. And the fact that, you know, that the examples I used are why is it that we are continuing to fund uh, prevention, but specifically the type through our criminal justice system, 10 times more than we are uh, any sort of treatment? Um, that's number one. Number two was why is uh, medically assisted treatment or, or just any sort of treatment through um, 
the medical uh, realm still vastly underused in, in our treatment settings uh, and vastly outnumbered by the abstinent and religious absent only and religious based AA model. And number three was why is harm reduction technique still, uh, you know, there's so much uh, resistance to that, despite there being no resistance, of course, to bars and, and liquor stores. And the point I was trying, uh, I was I was making is that because we've decided that everybody drinks, but only degenerates use drugs, we allow these sorts of things to continue. Uh, so there, there is a clear through line uh, from the beginning, the racist origins of uh, drug policy to now. So um, I, I really enjoyed being back on stage. It was very nice to be back on stage in, in, in person. I've got a couple others planned. So uh, stay tuned for that. Now, speaking of medically assisted treatment, this week's uh, guest is is someone that some of you probably know, um, not for her work uh, in this realm, although you should. Uh, some of you pr- probably do, but uh, the guest is Claudia Christian, and she is an incredibly accomplished actress who, about a decade ago, got uh, entered recovery through what's called the Sinclair method of treatment, and. After so many years of, of trying and, and, and failing through AA and abstinent-only-based treatment, she was, rightfully so, upset and, and angry that this this treatment that works uh, you know, so successfully was kind of kept from her and made it her mission to spread uh, the awareness and the opportunity for people to, to, to use what's called the Sinclair Method to enter recovery and to get the word out. Uh, now, as I said, she is a comp- an accomplished actress. You probably know her uh, from her her most, uh, I think, public role. Or public's the wrong word. But the, the, the one that I think probably 9 out of 10 people know her from, which is Babylon 5. Uh, she was uh, the lead on Babylon 5 and is, is very good, very good in that show. Um, but she's also done a lot of movies, a lot of other shows. Currently... Uh, you know her as, as uh, Captain Menard on Fox's 911, uh, as well as the voice of Hera in Netflix uh, Blood of Zeus. Uh, I know her as as the voice of a very fun character in the game Skyrim. Uh, she's done a lot of really incredible voiceover work. Uh, she's just, you know, her IMDb page is very long, as is her Wikipedia page. But uh, the most, I think, the most incredible thing she's done, the most, most moving thing she's done... Um, is is her documentary, which we talk about a lot, and it's called One Little Pill. And that is specifically about this method, the Sinclair method. So um, I could explain the Sinclair method, <laughs> rightfully so. She does a much better job than me. So uh, she will do a better job of that in, in this episode. Uh, and I think without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Claudia and all the incredible work she's doing. People will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. That famous quote by the extraordinary Maya Angelou is exactly why I speak. It's why I tell my story and mix education around the topics of mental health, substance misuse and recovery, and drug use and policy with motivation, inspiration, and purpose. So when you're looking for your next keynote or breakout session speaker, reach out. Find me at my website, jshiftman.com, and I promise you, your employees, your group members, the students at your school, everybody will come away having learned something. And that's how we create change. Reach out today. Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends. If you're listening on Apple, please rate and review or check out the review link in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Claudia Christian. I've been in the film and television business um, since I was a teenager. And now I'm an activist advocate for a treatment called the Sinclair Method for Alcohol Use Disorder. I've had a history of my own drinking issue, which I utilize this method for, and that gave me the passion to, to continue to do what I do now, which is try to help others who are suffering and relapsing. So I think if most people have seen your work, and it's it's the first time I saw you, it was obviously Babylon 5. 
but it, it, and I'm sure you get this joke a lot, but how ironic is it that you got your start in a movie called Clean and Sober? Yeah, that that's a little bit uh, ironic, and so is the fact that um, that the first commander of Babylon Five was called Sinclair, and my character in Disney's Atlantis was called Helga Sinclair, and now I advocate a thing called the Sinclair Method. So it seems to be um, a lot of uh, strange twists and ironies, um, coincidences in my in my life. Yes. <laughs> so you. I, I guess the the best place to start is the, with that um, weird coincidence. Were you all already struggling um, with substance misuse when you made Clean and Sober? No, gosh, no, no. Um, I didn't. This this really didn't uh, affect me until my late thirties. I had uh, glorious, um, <laughs> probably thirty eight years without um, without any addiction. Uh, I was a very light drinker in my twenties, and then in my thirties started collecting wines and hanging out with people who drank a lot. And I lived with a few people who I would say abused alcohol. Um, and it just, uh, you know, I had the genetic disposition and I engaged in the behavior and lo and behold, my neural pathways became super engorged and I developed an issue. So I quit like everybody else does when they have a problem. That's the most commonsensical approach to alcohol misuse is to just stop. But unbeknownst to me, that caused what's known as the alcohol deprivation effect. And that caused me to then become a binge drinker. And so I went from being a, a light drinker to a social drinker, to a heavier drinker, to then abstinent, to then a binge drinker. And that uh, continued for the next few years until I found a solution to my issue. And of course, like um, most people out there, the binges became progressively worse and more dangerous. And I, I really didn't know um, anything other than what was offered to me, which was traditional treatment, either 12-step programs or rehab. Uh, but I tried uh, a myriad of different things from hypnotherapy to psychotherapy to vitamin therapy to you name it. Um, I tried it and it was a series of debilitating, frustrating attempts at fixing my brain. And it wasn't until 2009 that I found something that that actually worked for me. So before this, you know, you, you grew up in California, which has a bit of a reputation for hard partying. Was that something that you did or were you kind of, you know, you said this, this was a problem later in life. Does that mean you kind of started this later in life or were you able to party in your teens and early 20s without issue? I, I was a, a what we used to call a play geek in Westport, Connecticut. I was a theater brat. So I was dedicated to that. I was very much a geek. A music geek. I played violin and and performed in the school plays. When we moved to California, I still had that Connecticut uh, sort of upbringing um, behind me, so I wasn't really engaged in partying per se. But I did move to an area of California that was certainly more active. And then I moved to Laguna Beach, and it was more outdoorsy. And yeah, kids smoked pot, but I wasn't interested in pot. Um, I did date some older guys who introduced me to cocaine and things like that, but I was so focused on my career that I really did not party. Plus, I was married very young. I got married when I was 23. Um, when I was in my teens, I lived with an older man and raised his child. I mean, I had a lot of responsibility um, as a very young woman. And plus, as I said, I was working in television from the time I turned 18. I was on a TV series, so I didn't have time to party, and I didn't want to party. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to make a living and I wanted to do what I love to do, which was acting. So I was not a big party girl. Um, I had my normal fun times in my 20s, but I was really predominantly working and I was married to an older man. So um, I was not uh, I was not running around clubbing much. <laughs> so before we really get into, you know, your, your work as an activist and, and by the way, I, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but I am a big fan of your documentary. Uh, I've shown it to multiple people because I think it's so expertly done. Um, before okay. we actually talk about that, let's talk about your, your career before this a little bit. So like you said, you got in very young, and, and I think a lot of people know you for more of a sci-fi, uh, your work in that realm. Is, is that something that attracted you at, at an early age, or did you kind of get into that and say, oh, this is working? What, what really took you to the sci-fi realm of, of production? I've only done two science fiction projects out of 
Really? Thousands of hours. <laughs> yeah, I've done Babylon 5 and I did a, a, a British comedy called Star Hike. And that was, um, that was kind of a sci-fi comedy. Uh, those are the only... I'm so sorry. Am I conf- Weren't you in Quantum Leap at one point or am I confusing you with somebody else? Um, Quantum Leap is considered genre, not really science fiction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's not science fiction. I mean, I was I was playing a character that was based on um, uh, the Ingrid Bergman character from Casablanca. So, Casablanca. So, um, that's not not very sci-fi. Uh, I have done genre shows like uh, Highlander. I did a guest lead on that, and I did yes, I did Quantum Leap. I did a guest lead on that. But the majority of the roles that I've played in my career are um, military or, um, you know, police. Frankly, I played a lot of FBI and police officers. Currently, I play the captain of the LAPD on 911. Um, lots of detectives, that kind of thing. Um, therapists, doctors. It's just that the Babylon 5 role is iconic because it was such a respected science fiction series and it won Hugo Awards and Emmys and it, it's um, it's a fan favorite. So I am not uh, at all... Um, uncomfortable being associated or referred to as a sci-fi actress because that was a uh, it was a sort of um groundbreaking role a, a bisexual russian jewish telepathic um commander was was quite quite uh innovative in those days so um if someone wants to think of me as that gal from b5 that's fine with me it's a, it was a great job that took me around the world and i'm happy happy to be been a part of it and your your both IMDb and Wikipedia list is very long. You are it's easy to to call you a very hardworking actor. Would you would you agree with that assessment? Um, I I would agree that I'm an actress, not an actor. Um, I I don't have a penis, so. Um. <laughs> Sorry, my apologies. I was trying to use more of a gender inclusive, but uh, yeah, this is your realm of of expertise. And if you prefer it's actress, it's then I. It's such a pet peeve of mine to be referred to the male version of that. It's like it's like if you have a room full of actors, fine. But I'm an actress. I'm a woman. Um, no, 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 no. I just think it's a hardworking I, actress. Yeah, I think it's hilarious that people still have that. Um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have worked in a profession that I adore, and uh, there have been great years and there have been lean years, like most artists out there. Um, and I appreciate all work I get. I love my voiceover career. I love my on-camera career. I'm grateful for all of it. And I'm especially grateful that I was able to take something that was very detrimental in my life and turn it into another love, which is coaching people and helping people with their own alcohol use disorder. So it's, it's, um, it's really the, uh, in some way, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful combination of two things that I'm passionate about, which is, creating characters and moving people um, via television and film, and then also helping people. And I, you know, I'm really, really, I, I'm a very, very lucky individual to have found t- two separate things that I'm really passionate about, because I know a lot of people out there are having a hard time finding even one thing that they're passionate about. Um, so it's, I, a day doesn't go by that I'm, I'm not grateful. And, I think another thing that that you you've done incredibly well is you've you, you've been a very prolific writer as well. You've written some pretty incredible pieces. Thank you. I I've always loved writing since I was a child, and I I was um, lucky enough to meet a really cool writing partner about fifteen years ago, um, who I've written a couple things with, and then my my other work the my most recent book journeys, which was a compilation of stories of people on the Sinclair method um, that came about simply because I, I wanted people to read about the good and, and the bad and where you can go wrong on the, on the method. And, and um, my memoir was simply Babylon confidential was simply a way for me to get the story out about what happened to me and sort of come out of the closet, so to speak, as, someone who suffered from alcohol use disorder and found a solution. So all everything I've done has been in an effort to either entertain or educate. <laughs> so, and hopefully sometimes you can do the two together because that usually makes for a better read. Well, I want to applaud you for that because this is something I was talking about yesterday with our, our mutual connection, uh, Adi Jaffe. 
is that there are some of us who who are in recovery or or who have gone through trauma and and, and you know the, the just getting through it is what they're able to do and that's wonderful and they should be applauded for that and then there's a very small group who who work through that trauma and say now I want to go back and help others and you are definitely one of those people who's turned around and said all right I went through this thing I want to make sure as few other people go through this as possible exactly I I thought wow I lost almost a decade of my life I don't want this to happen to anybody else and this is crazy that that this is not more well known and more utilized and I I was angry and I was uh, you know, I was really, I was angry at my years that I lost. And I think that a lot of people that suffer from substance use disorders out there will understand and, and relate to that is that you feel like you've lost time. And for me, you know, when a, when a woman is in her late thirties, it's really when you early forties, it's when you come into your own and it's your most powerful time. And here I was, you know, bloated from alcohol. It was affecting my work. I'm sure um, I was on a constant stream of, you know, being sober, binging, being sober, binging. And when I was sober, um, into enforced sobriety, I was miserable. I dictated where I could go, what I could do, who I could see. Um, I, I was not a happy sober person like I am now, um, because I'm abstinent by choice now. And there's a huge difference. So, you know, for me, I just wanted to save someone the years that it took me to find a solution to my own drinking problem. And if I could do that for even one person and someone, especially who's self-medicating, I thought about all the veterans out there. I thought about people in very high stressful jobs, police officers, surgeons, airline pilots, people who self-medicate a lot. And I thought, wow, you know, this could really change the world if almost eight, if this has an 80% success rate, Imagine the world with 80% less alcoholics out there and how many more children will have to, you know, will have parents who are present and healthy and, and how, how much less money we'll spend. Right now, we spend almost $250 billion a year in the U.S. alone on alcohol-related causes. Um, that's lost days of work and car accidents and medical issues. And, and it's just staggering. And it's a waste of money, frankly, if, if we could... If we could embrace medical assisted treatments more than traditional 12 step abstinence based revolving door <laughs> rehab situations, then I think our world would be a much more pleasant and safe place to live in. Well, I, I could not agree with you more there. And, and obviously, that is where your and my work, uh, our, our interests very clearly overlap is trying to uh, advocate for more scientifically proven methods for, for treatment. But before we get into the documentary and your advocacy work, let's pause real quick, if you wouldn't mind, and shout out where people can follow you online and support you and all that kind of stuff. Well, the, the if you are someone who's interested in, in learning about the Sinclair Method, you should go to c3foundation.org. And if you are someone who's interested in watching One Little Pill, it's One Little Pill Movie. Dot com. I'm official Claudia Christian on Instagram, and we are on Twitter, C3 Foundation, and also Claudia Lives on Twitter is me. Um, and uh, yeah, mostly the C3 Foundation. If you're a medical professional, you can visit c3foundation.net. We have a whole page website uh, devoted to educating medical professionals. So that is, uh, yeah, I think that's about right. <laughs> I am so excited to tell you about my new CBD sponsor, Roadrunner. Y'all know I love my old CBD sponsor, and I switched for one main reason. This stuff works. I've been a runner my whole life, but unfortunately, I'm also super easily injured. One of my high school friends used to call me Mr. Glass. And back in 2015, when I ran my first half marathon, I got hurt, like really hurt. And since then, I haven't been able to run more than three or four miles without serious pain. That is until I tried Roadrunner CBD's Muscle Gel. In a few short months, I'm regularly running five and a half to six miles each outing, and I'm currently training for my next half marathon. I don't want to call it a miracle cure, but it's damn near close. So check it out at my personal Roadrunner link, which is roadrunnercbd.com slash ref slash CYS. Again, that's roadrunnercbd.com slash ref slash CYS, or at the link in my show notes or on my podcast website, 
and use the code CYS at checkout to get 10% off on all of their awesome products. Check it out today. Subscribe to my Patreon for behind-the-scenes looks at the podcast, sneak peeks, and bonus data. You'll also get a discount on Choose Your Struggle merch. Find it at patreon.com slash chooseyourstruggle. Well, and, and listeners, I can definitely say as someone who has uh, purchased your movie, I, I, or your documentary, I think it's fantastic. Uh, it really, even as someone who works in this field, uh, and, and this was kind of where our, our conversation is heading, I didn't know enough about the Sinclair Method. And I thought, you know, after seeing, hearing you, you know, talk about it in uh, that, that group that we're a part of uh, through Adi Jaffe, I was like, I got to check this out. I got to know more. And I was so glad I did because it's a fantastic documentary. And, and as you say in this, and anytime you speak, you didn't just do this because you're interested. You, this truly saved your life. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I want to say also that uh, Amazon did have that film available for free, but I think they recently changed some things. One Little Pill was available. I think you have to rent it now. Um, absolutely, TSM saved my life. I mean, there's, there, I would be dead. My last relapse resulted in a medical detox, and and I was desperate. I mean, I just knew that I could not, I could not live with the cravings and the insidious nature of the beast in my brain was telling me that you know, after eight months of sobriety that I didn't have a problem. It was, it was what other people go through. It's just that voice that tells you, oh, you can have one drink. And that, that quest to feeling normal again. And the reality is you're not normal. Your brain has changed when you develop an alcohol use disorder, your neural pathways change. And, you know, I, I, I was, I was very frustrated with with the lack of um, tools that were given to me. And I think that that it was really honestly malpractice that I wasn't offered medication after leaving um, two facilities. I think that it is it's just I think it's malpractice that 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 they do not that they think that they that talk therapy and prayer is going to help everybody. I mean, it's really, it's, it's, when you think about it, we're dealing in, in a very antiquated system and a very unrealistic system. Harm reduction is uh, a very viable, very healthy approach to substance misuse. And I think that we should embrace it a lot more and certainly medications. Well, you said, a word. first off, I want to say that I, 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 again, I'm so sorry that you had to go through this. And, I'm, and, and my listeners know this, but I say, I say this a lot. I'm so sorry that any of us had to go through this, you know, and, and you said the word that is accurate. It's malpractice. You know, we, uh, Adi and I were literally just talking about this yesterday when, when only 20% of the uh, places out there that do rehab or treatment are using any sort of evidence-based treatment. That is in one word, malpractice. No, I mean, 12-step programs, I mean, I'm really happy that they help people, but it's not treatment. It's peer support. It's just peer support. It's a peer support meeting. You wouldn't send a diabetic to a meeting. You'd give him insulin. You wouldn't send a heart patient to a meeting. You might send him to a meeting to learn how to eat correctly, but you'd give him a statin. You give him insulin. You know, it's you have to fix things on a biological level before you can fix things on another level, any other level, whether it's emotional or, you know. And, and what doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and you've directly studied this, and maybe you have more of an answer, is that in every other walk of our medical life, pills are the answer. They're, 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 it's the first answer. You, you get hurt, the doctor gives you pills. And yet when it comes to treating issues of substance misuse and addiction, it's it's like I said, 20%. That's it. And so have you talked to medical professionals about why this is the case? Well, I mean, I, I point out in every time I speak, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, the TED talk that I did or, or where, whenever I give a speech, I, I point out the fact that in 1956, the AMA stated that alcoholism is a, is a brain disorder. It's a disease of the brain. And yet we're not treating it like a disease since the 1950s, since that was recognized that this is a disease of the brain. And that means your brain has changed, and yet we're not treating it with medications, even though naltrexone, for instance, has been around since 1994. 
and it's prescribed in my mind incorrectly, but that's another story. But I mean, you know, and, and the one medication that they're really keen on prescribing is punitive, which is antabuse, and it doesn't do anything for the individual's cravings. It doesn't do anything to undo the addiction in the brain. It's simply punitive. And to answer your question, why? It's because addicts are thought of as weak-minded people, that we're weak-willed, that we have no motivation to change, that we're bad people, that we, you know, that we're, we engage in these behaviors because we want to, that we have a choice. And here's the thing is, addiction is not logical. We know that. Anyone who's walked the, in, the, in addiction, in the steps of addiction, knows that it's not logical. I, I remember when I had an eating disorder and I compulsively counted calories and, and starved myself. That is not a logical behavior. That is, that's when your brain changes. There's something wrong with you. Um, I don't think anyone grows up thinking, well, I want to puke up all my food. Or I want to live on 300 calories a day, or I want to drink myself to death. There is something inherently wrong with your brain. It changes. And if you treat it with logic and talk therapy and prayer and meetings, it ain't going to change the brain. I'm sorry. It's just not going to change things. Can you be sober? Absolutely. Are you are you still within the disease, as they say? Yeah. I mean, you meet so many people who are still white knuckling. They still won't go out in public because there's alcohol there. They're still suffering. They're still in that chronic disease of alcoholism, even though they're not engaging in the behavior. So to me, the only way to set someone free is to deal with the biological aspect of it and to eliminate those cravings and the compulsion to want to drink and, and then, you know, do inner work as well. And, and it's just, uh, it's just a pity that we, we tend to look at people who suffer from substance use disorders as bad people. And it's interesting because I remember Dr. Sinclair said to me, uh, he said, you know, he was studying these rats, these in Skinner boxes that were, they were uh, a strain of alcoholic rats. They were bred to be alcoholic. And I, and I said, what do you think about the whole moral judgment about people who are, are addicted to substances? And he turned to me and he said, you know, I've never met a bad rat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that all the rats were either good rats and they're all good rats. They didn't choose to, be, to, to push the lever on the alcohol instead of the water. They were bred to be that way. They were genetically inclined to become that way. And I, and I look at this as something that for so many years, we've been told that we're moral failures. And for so many years, addiction has been treated like the ugly stepchild of, of diseases. And it's unfair. It's like mental health is finally, finally, people are able to come out and say, wow, I'm bipolar. And they're not judged as much as they used to be. But think about it. I mean, it wasn't that many years ago that we threw people in padded cells, that we threw, that we tied alcoholics down and punished them while they withdrew. And a lot of them died because we wouldn't taper them or give them any medications. They would just die, you know, because we thought they were crazy, you know, mentally ill. I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very sad situation. Um, and it's something that, you know, we fight every day to change. And I hate punitive actions for anyone who is mentally ill or anyone who is suffering from a substance use disorder, because I do not believe that punitive actions help human beings. I believe that punishment uh, is, is barbaric. It's inhumane. And just because you suffer from something that maybe is not a sexy disease, like erectile dysfunction, then we should be, we should be, you know, throwing money at medications to fix this issue because it affects so many people. You know, when you think about it, a person dies every 10 seconds. That means while we've been speaking, how many people have died? And this is treatable and it's preventable. Yeah, that is a startling statistic. And, you know, those of us who do this work, we're full of these startling statistics. And, and uh, there are a lot of them. Uh, you know, the, the one that I like to cite all the time is that we're, you know, we're losing over 130,000 people a year just to suicide and overdose. That's mm -hmm. it. Which is just, I mean, that number is mind boggling, right? Now, for, for your 
direct story. You you enter or you you enter recovery around 2009, 2010, and the movie comes out four or five years later. Was this something that you entered recovery and immediately said, "I have to get the message out," uh, or, or how did that move? How did the documentary come to come to exist? Um, I started the Sinclair Method in 2009, and I immediately contacted the publisher um, of The Cure for Alcoholism, the book by Dr. Roy Escapa that quite literally saved my life. And I asked them if they would hook me up with Dr. Escapa, and they did. And I asked him what I could do to to help spread the word, because this method, uh, first I thanked him, obviously, and then I said, what, what the heck can I do? And he said, well, you have a, a bit of a following from your film and television career so why don't you write a book and I wrote that book Babylon Confidential and some people read it and especially my my fan base was very supportive but it didn't reach enough people so I said what what else can I do well this is a visual world it's a visual you know visual medium would be better so I decided to make a documentary and once again my sci-fi fans and and genre fans came um you know they just rose up as a group and they pretty much funded One Little Pill, my documentary. So I have to say my my film and television career really helped my advocacy because I had a fan base to draw from. So I raised about um, $60,000 to make a film. And and we did, and we shot um, all over the world. And, and I had a marvelous writer, producer, writer, director. Um, and we just made a, a beautiful, very palatable, you know, uh, film that people could show their loved ones if they were interested in trying this, this method or mostly to educate. And I, uh, so many people have seen it and it's changed their lives for the better. So I'm very happy about that. And then after that, um, I had started to C3 foundation in 2013. We were a one page website and, uh, my executive director, Jenny Williamson and I have been working together since 2013, and it's just us two ladies <laughs> and a handful of volunteers. And we've managed to take this movement from, um, it originally it was funny. I was talking to her this morning and I, and she said, you realize that we had in 2014, we had, we had 2017, excuse me, in 2017, we had three telemedicine providers. Now we have a hundred and almost 180, um, who provide the entire, yeah, the entire United States is covered with providers that will support you doing the Sinclair method, all of Canada, all of Australia, most of the UK and Europe. It's like the world is, is becoming covered by doctors who will support you doing this method, which is miraculous because when I started in 2009, there was one doctor and he was a buddy of Dr. Escapa's and he's the only doctor in the United States that, that supported his patients trying this method. One doctor. So it, it is it is quite remarkable in a very short span of time. And I and I know that people say, why haven't I ever heard of it? But you gotta understand, when I started, there was a book and nothing else. Now there's Facebook groups, there's a forum, there's online meetings, eight week meetings a week that are free. There's resources, drink logs, apps. I mean, anything you need to do TSM is out there. And I think that that's just pretty damn phenomenal. Well, I would agree. And I would say that you, you know, were, were as as you've really painted a perfect picture, an early uh, adopter of what a lot of people are finally coming to. But the, what what people like you, what pioneers like you, had to do was not just educate, which is incredibly important, but you had to fight for space in a in a market where a lot of people had already made up their minds that oh we're we're good we, we're fine here because AA works. Now, as we have both now said, there's something wrong with that as an addition to other treatments. But believing that AA could be the end all be all has been a major problem for over a hundred years. And so people like you had to break through that and say, wait, there are other ways. And by the way, I live this AA didn't help me the way it needed to. This method works. Yeah, and it's quite staggering to me that that I I there's so much pushback from twelve steppers in general. I don't want to say that specifically. I mean, I've had a lot of love from people in AA saying that they support this method because they see people chronically relapsing all the time. They lose people in meetings all the time, so they love the fact that this is out there. But when people push back and say, well, there's only one way and that's the right way, I, I say, I just ask them one question. 
is the death rate from alcoholism going up or going down? And when, when they say, you know, when, when they finally recognize that it's going up, it's not, this is, this, it's taken a hundred years and, and you're not fixing everybody, you know, maybe you're fixing less than 5% of people out there. So there's got to be other options. This is why our, you know, our mantra is options save lives. It's not my way or the highway in recovery. Um, TSM is not going to work for everybody out there. AA is not going to work for everybody out there. A Vivitrol shot, uh, antabuse is not going to work for everybody. You've got to find what works for you and never give up. I mean, I tried everything that was available to me and I never gave up because I thought there's got to be something out there. And that's what I just want to give people is hope. Don't give up. There, there. You know, if if naltrexone doesn't work for you, maybe baclofen or campersate or tapiramax will. Who knows? But don't give up. So my listeners know I I only have one role in this podcast, and that is I've had people from AA all the way to the other end of the spectrum, and it, it's perfectly okay with me. The minute that we have an issue, is as as you just so perfectly said, when you say the word only. As in, this is the only way. And I have to say to you, no, it isn't. For the exact reason you just said, we are still losing hundreds of thousands of people. You cannot tell me that that the way we are doing this is perfect. So if people are hearing you talk right now, obviously you're very busy still in your, in your film and TV career, but talk a little bit about how people can support the work of your foundation. Most importantly, we are a grassroots donor driven nonprofit 501c3. So if you, you know, if you can find it in your heart to become a crusader, um, it's a, it's a, uh, a program that I developed where people uh, would donate $25 a month or whatever they could afford so that we would get monthly donations. That's hugely helpful. If you can, maybe make a small donation in somebody's name or memory to C3 Foundation. Um, it's right on the landing page, our donate button. We really are dependent on, on donations. And obviously during the pandemic, you know, people weren't able to donate. Um, so it was very difficult for us, but we, we have survived and we are growing still. But um, most important is just is really we need support. We do need volunteers as well but you know we need to grow first we can't we can't even afford to hire a volunteer coordinator right now so our most important thing is is donations um and that's once again c3foundation.org my uh, it's funny i launched a coaching page as well which is yoursinclairmethod.com and if anybody books coaching sessions through there, um, a portion of each coaching session from each coach is donated to C3 Foundation. So that's another way to support um, my nonprofit organization is yoursinclairmethod.com. And that, that's for people who need um, help with, you know, with accountability and compliance and, and any other issue that comes along with, with um, alcohol use disorder. Well, if if we didn't know before, clearly you are very dedicated to this cause, and I, I thank you for that. It's appreciated. I applaud you for that. So besides that website, one more time, if you wouldn't mind shouting out where people can find you online, follow you, get involved, all of the good stuff. Um, C3 Foundation has a Twitter uh, account, and I'm Claudia Lives on Twitter. I'm official Claudia Christian on Instagram, and C3 Foundation is also on Instagram, um, onelittlepillmovie.com you can rent one little pill and those proceeds it's like three dollars and it goes to c3 foundation to support us c3foundation.org is the main website where you can get anything you need to start tsm including finding a provider who will support you absolutely for free and if you can afford to make a little donation there's a donate button right there on the landing page well, we always finish with the same two questions, so we'll do that now. The, the the first is not just during the last you know crazy year and a half, but but what self care methods or techniques work for you? Nature, number one, working out in nature. Um, I I built myself a little gym outside during the pandemic, and and I utilize it as much as possible, and I would allocate the weekends for discovering another park in Los Angeles or another place where I could be in nature. That's really the most healing thing for me. Um, 
having a small garden really helps enormously. I, I'm a big cook, so anything having to do with cooking is also self-care to me, which is planting herbs and harvesting them and um, just getting back to the simple things, you know, reading a book. Um, I, I really also took a big step away from being online because that was, uh, it's just, it, it seemed like a time and energy suck to me. And I wanted to be more present in my life. But I think everybody who's going through, you know, who's in recovery has to understand that, that it's forgiveness first and foremost. You've got to forgive yourself. I think that's the most self-caring thing you can do. Um, this is not your fault. You didn't ask for this to happen. You, you have to forgive yourself and others before you can really move on. And, you know, maybe somebody didn't support you the way you needed them to support you. But unless we communicate what we need, and it's so difficult when we're in the throes of addiction to communicate exactly what we need, we can't expect people to give us what, what we need. Um, and I always tell loved ones, you know, the best thing you can do is just to say, I, I don't understand what you're going through because I've never gone through it, but I'm here if you need anything. And that's it. You, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to go any further if you're not comfortable going any further. But I'm really, really trying to educate people that love is the most helpful offering you can give to someone who's suffering and compassion and forgiveness because this is not a choice. Addiction is not a choice. I certainly didn't choose it, almost ruined my life, almost took my life away from me. So I think that the more we, we treat ourselves tenderly, that is the alter, ultimate self-care. Wow, that was, uh, that was beautifully said. Thank you so much for that. Um, you know, we get a lot of different answers on, on, on that question. And uh, I would say that that was, that was really well done. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so the final question I always close with is we've now spent the last almost 40 minutes learning about all the absolute incredible work you're doing and why we should be following along and getting involved. But who are some people that you follow that, that have made an impact on your life? We should all be, be you know, looking up, whether it's reading, uh, whatever you're watching, listening to, whatever it is, shout out some people that we should go check out. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I am the last person you should ask that. I'm so old school, honey. I'm a Ricardian. So unless you're like a, a, a British history fanatic, um, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I really, I, I, I'm reading a lot about trees right now. So, you know, I, I yeah. That's I, cool. I, I, Shout out what you're reading about trees. I'm reading Finding the Mother Tree by Suzanne Simard. I'm reading a lot of C.J. Sansom again, um, which he has a, a just wonderful series on a on a 15th century. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I you know, and I in the book that I'm writing currently takes place in an Elizabethan world. So um, anything modern, don't ask me, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't listen to podcasts. I don't follow people on Instagram. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm old school, baby. I read books and I research uh, history. So, um, well, I, I definitely respect that. You know, if someone asked me right now, it would be a bunch of scientific journal articles about, uh, drug use and drug policy. So, uh, also not the most interesting <laughs> unless you're in this line of work, but I find them fascinating. So I'm right. I understand. I get it. Yeah, yeah, that's where I am too. <laughs> well, Claudia, I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been fascinating, and I'm sure that my listeners are going to think so as well. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Jay. I appreciate it. Y'all know I love to read, and almost every episode of this podcast includes a recommendation to check out an awesome book. From a D. Jaffe's abstinence myth to Johan Ahari's chasing the scream, I'm constantly looking for new books to learn from and enjoy. That's why I'm super excited to partner with Bookshop. Bookshop is a wonderful website that helps you find all your favorite books and support your local neighborhood bookstore in the process. I've bought everything from textbooks to Star Wars novels on Bookshop, and I've supported my local store with each transaction. Best of all, my Bookshop link will allow you to see all the books I've mentioned on the show right in one spot. So check out Bookshop today using the link in my show notes or go to bookshop.org shop C-Y-S and you'll find all the awesome books you want and support the podcast in the process. Check it out today.
find me on social media. Check the link in the show notes or search for me, Jay Schiffman, on YouTube and LinkedIn, and choose your struggle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right, we come to the end of another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Claudia Christian. She was wonderful. She is such a wealth of knowledge. Uh, and and I got to say, you know, <laughs> it doesn't happen often that the guest uh, accurately corrects me on something. Um, now, obviously, you know, the, the, the idea of me calling her an actor, I 100% get where she's coming from. I, I, you know, being an outsider, tried to use a word that I thought was more inclusive to her. That was the opposite. And that really made me think a lot since that happened about how, um, you know, one of the things I call for all the time here, obviously, is is being better about your word choice, being more intentional about your word choice. And here I was with no knowledge, <laughs> Uh, just from what I've read that, that, you know, a lot of places are trying to use actor for everybody now. And he, there she was being like, no, don't do that. You know, call me an actress. I am an actress and I'm proud of that. And uh, that was her right to do that. So, um, you know, thank you so much to Claudia. Please go check out her work. Uh, I've watched her her documentary multiple times. Uh, one Little Pill is such a it's 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 one of those documentaries that you enjoy like a movie because it tells a wonderful story and the knowledge that it imparts is such uh, so good uh and also uh so for those of you who who know uh dr ad jaffe who is a a coming up in in i think a week maybe next week uh on this on this show uh the, a very young uh, ad jaffe is in, is in that documentary so uh check that out you will definitely like it and you can find it on amazon i bought it um because i i i think it's so incredible and and i know i i had seen parts of it before so like, i i know i'm gonna like this so I, I purchased it um if if you want to i definitely recommend doing so it's it's that good all right, for your card this week, we are going back to Blurt. We're using the Nuggets of Kindness card pack, and I've already shuffled because of my <laughs> because of my issue a couple weeks ago of throwing them around the room. I'm now shuffling before I'm recording. So here is your card. When life gives you lemons, know this. There's no lemon bigger than you. There's nothing you can't overcome. Honestly, Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Believe that you are the best lemon lobber there is in the land. Ask for help when the lemons get too much and do your best. It's all anyone can ask of you, yourself included. Uh, that's very Dr. Seussian, or, or, or if you are uh, a purist, Dr. Saucian. Yes, those look it up. That's the way he pronounced his name. Um, but it, it is it is a good lesson all the same. You know, we, we get that when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But what if you want a lemon? You know, when life gives you lemons, eat a lemon. That's fine. <laughs> all right. Your good egg for today is uh, something that, that Lauren and I are trying to do more of here in Philadelphia. Uh, spend some time picking up trash. It, it's, um, you know, sort of personal story real quick. Uh, we have probably the most narrow street in Philadelphia. In fact, uh, a contractor's working on a house up the street was driving down the, the street. I was out in the front um, steps and he hit a little pole and he looks at me like he made eye contact, kind of that moment of I just did something embarrassing and somebody saw it and, and sees me and goes, this is the narrowest fucking street in this goddamn city, um, which is true. Everybody who lives on the street has a mark on the side of their car from somebody hitting it. It's just so narrow. It's not even big enough. If everyone parked on the side, you couldn't bring a car down it. So everybody, us included, parks with, with two wheels up on the sidewalk. Um, but when the trash people come down the street and they barely fit, uh, <laughs> they leave a trail of trash behind them every time. And so it's kind of up to us as a street to pick up after them. And, you know, uh, it's a little frustrating, of course, but at the same time, it just means that we got to go do it. You know, we can bitch and moan all we want, but, you know, this is the way it is. So uh, we pick up trash every week, and, and we're trying to do more of that for the neighborhood, Lauren and I are. I've been out a couple times myself, and we're going to try to do more of that together. So that's your good egg. Go pick up some trash. But above all else, as always, be vulnerable. Show your empathy. Spread your love. And choose your struggle.